Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone, this is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is January 29th, 2011. Uh, If you would like me to create a Bible study addressing a desired topic, then please email me at kennard at mercifulservantsofgod.com with your request. Also, if you're sick or you're having marriage problems or whatever other problem you have, you can't find a job, you need assistance with that, also email me. Um, I'll, first of all, pray for you, and then I'll see what I, what, what I can do for you. Um, I'll, I'll see what I can do, either uh, help you find a job or uh, ask God to heal you, or if you're having marriage problems or whatever, I could counsel you with that. Etc. So I welcome you to do that. It's a free service that I offer, and you can simply email me at Kennard at MercifulServanceOfGod.com. That's Kennard at MercifulServanceOfGod.com. Now, I will talk about what it means to walk as Jesus walked, because many people don't seem to understand that, and a lot of ministers don't either, after I finish uh, last week's Bible study, which was what is good and what is evil. Now, last week I spoke about abortion and how God feels about it. And based on the scriptures, it is revealed that a human is a human at conception. Conception is when the sperm meets the the ovum. That's what happens, and then the combination of the sperm and the ovum creates an embryo. So it's pretty clear, and if you go back to the Bible study I had last week, I really uh, prove it without a shadow of a doubt that God considers you a human being at conception. So unless it is done to save the mother's life, which is common sense, it is wrong to do, to kill a baby in the womb. Now, according to the Center for Bioethical Reform, uh, you can just Google that on uh, Google, there is approximately 42 million abortions every year around the world. That's 42 million. And there are 115,000 abortions every day worldwide so a little baby's blood is spilled that many times each day folks and in the united states there are 1.37 million i think it's a little less now that this was a figure back in 1996 thank god it's a little less but still over a million is ridiculous a million babies are murdered every year 1.37 million babies are murdered every year and 3,700 babies the majority of them anyway are murdered every day in this country So again, killing babies unless the mother's life is in jeopardy is sin, according to the Bible. And to simplify, it's plain murder. 
Ever since one of the worst Supreme Court rulings in the United States, Roe v. Wade, which was back in 1973, was enforced, millions of innocent babies have been murdered in this country. Their poor blood has been spilled because of selfishness and greed. Almost 50 million babies have been murdered since 1973 in the United States. And the scriptures I used last week to prove this, uh, you could either listen to me read them, by going back to the archives and listening to the Bible study I gave last week, what is good and what is evil, or you can jot these scriptures down and read them for yourself. Uh, John, Job, <laughs> not John, Job, looks like a job, J-O-B, Job 3, verse 3, uh, Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 to 23, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, Luke chapter 1, verse 15, and then verse 36, Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 23, Exodus chapter 23, verse 7, Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 17. Now, I also talked about a, uh, a subject here that is really getting heated in this country, uh, homosexuality, being gay. And the scriptures I quoted uh, last week uh, to prove that Jesus felt and still feels today that a marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, and Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9, then Romans chapter 1, verses 17 to 32, and Leviticus chapter 18, verses 22 to 30, and Leviticus chapter 20 to 13 is pretty clear about how God feels about that. And uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 36, I, I was talking about that last week, and uh, we need to go to go back to that. So uh, let's go to Luke chapter 17. And read that. Okay. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. Okay, Jesus prophesied here in verse 26 of Luke chapter 17. It says, um, actually, let me um, give you the context here in verse 22 of Luke chapter 17, and he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lights out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, reading the King James Version, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, or similar to the days of Noah, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted and built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So I want to focus on the days of Sodom here to make my point. Now, verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So he's already revealed back then, so he must be talking about his second coming. 
And then in verse 31, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and the stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember his lot wife. He's telling you to remember his lot wife because she looked back because she longed for the things she had in Sodom and Gomorrah. She obviously must have enjoyed that life, which we're going to um, look at the scriptures and what God says what, or what, how God describes what the problem was with Sodom and Gomorrah in the first place. And we'll understand what Lot's wife uh, lusted after. Verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. So is that what your life is all about, just to save it? He says you're going to lose it. And whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Verse 34, I tell you in that, in, in that night there shall be two in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other left. He's talking about as far as in being taken, being killed. Verse 35, two women, I know people eisegesis this and say that this is talking about the rapture, but it's not. Verse 35, two women shall be grinding together, one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field and one shall be taken, in other words, killed, and the other left. And then verse 37, and they answered and said unto them, where, Lord? And he said unto them, wherever the body is there will the eagles be gathered together. That's referring to uh, Revelation chapter 19, and it talks about all the animals uh, eating all the the dead bodies and the corpses, and that's what that's referring to there. So um, what Christ is saying here is his second coming, the generation of his second coming will be similar to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah. Obviously, both those situations were similar, as he stated. So uh, let's turn to Jude 1, verse 7. Jude, verse 7, it's just uh, one large chapter here to this book, or epistle, or letter. And he says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication. Uh, fornication, that's uh, all types of sexual perversion, including homosexuality. And going after strange flesh, and that strange flesh was angel flesh, because they uh, wanted to uh, have sexual relations with the two angels. And they manifested themselves in, in, in a type of flesh that would be strange to us because we're not angels, right? We're not spirit. Are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so this is set. This is um, an example of what's going to occur in the future for people who behave like that. All right. So Ezekiel chapter 16. Let's get the Bible's definition of what sodom is uh, what what the sin was according to the bible i know people had their little theories about what they think it is but uh, the bible tells us um, clearly what the sins of sodom are so let's turn to um, ezekiel chapter 16 beginning in verse 49 So let me read this in the easy-to-read version for clarity's sake here. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Your sister Sodom and her daughters were proud. They had too much to eat and too much time on their hands. And they did not help the poor, helpless people. Sodom and her daughters became too proud and began to do terrible things in front of me, so I punished them. So this is really a description of the United States, folks. Uh, we <laughs> We are proud. 
like Obama uh, in the State of the Union address, uh, hey, we we, we want to be better than everyone else. Uh, we want to uh, compete successfully and be better than than all the other nations. That That's being proud. And uh, we definitely do have too much to eat, uh, as I've explained many times uh, in this program. We are the uh, the fattest na- one of the fattest nations in the world, and of course we're rich, so we're rich in fat. And God identifies us in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 as Jezreel, waxing fat, very fat. So that that lets us know that we are a part of Israel. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to uh, this website www.beasinboyritam.org and, and find out what I'm talking about. Uh, mother.org to understand that the United States, uh, the, Britain, the British Commonwealth of Nations, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the countries in Northwestern Europe, and Canada are all a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, the tribe that people are really familiar with today are the Jews, which most of them um, congregate or live in the little nation of Israel in the Middle East and also in the United States. There's almost 6 million Jews here that lives in the United States. And I'm broadcasting in the United States, by the way. And, um, of course, overseas, in the Middle East, you have the majority of Jews there. I think it's close to 7 million now, uh, the population there, uh, as far as Jews, and the little nation of Israel. So anyway, that's who God geographically identifies who the 12 tribes of Israel are. And Genesis chapter 49 proves to you that there are 12 tribes and not just one tribe. So anyway, uh, that is what God is concerned about. He's concerned about us being too proud, having too much to eat, having too much time on our hands. In other words, we don't make good use of our time, and we don't help the poor. And how can I say that? Well, we have over 40 million people right now uh, that are on food stamps. Uh, Additionally, additionally, it would take $20 billion, that's what it would be, $20 billion, only $20 billion a year. The reason why I say only, uh, stay with me here, uh, $20 billion, that's what it would be per year to eliminate poverty in this country. Uh, we spent almost close to a trillion dollars on our defense budget. Uh, we spent all kinds of money on what is called earmarks, uh, trying to, to, to help out uh, a politician's uh, environment or um, area by asking money from the government to do some some uh, positive cause or whatever, okay? Uh, we spend a lot of, and waste a lot of money on things. Uh, like I just found out, we give Egypt right now. Egypt's going through some some stuff right now, and I may do a Bible study on that, depending on what's going on here, uh, if it gets serious here. It is it's already serious enough as it is, but it may get even more serious. We give them about over a billion dollars a year just to help help their military. Now, I'm not saying it's not necessary, but we need to help our people here in this country, and we're not doing that. Uh, Blacks, uh, for instance, uh, sure, Martin Luther King did his thing, but affirmative action only forces uh, organizations that have federal contracts to hire blacks and other minorities. And blacks still have have a difficult time economically today. So, you know, Martin Luther King did did a good job in regards to the fact that most black people anyway can go to a restaurant and if there's a lot of white people in it, they won't get openly persecuted. But we're still persecuted when it comes to monetary means. 
when it comes to money. We still have to be twice as good as a white man, twice as intelligent as a white man to get anywhere. Uh, look at Obama. For him to be the president of the United States, what did he have to do? He had to go to Harvard. <laughs> you know, he, he had to, to have a law degree from Harvard, one of the best schools in the world. And on top of that, I'm sure that it helped that his mother was white so uh, and that he's half white. So the thing is, uh, the truth about black people is just going to remain to be very difficult for us until Yeshua Messiah or Jesus Christ comes back, not just for us but for other minorities around the world. So I just wanted to point that out. So Isaiah chapter 1 is a prophecy about not only our nation, but the other Israelitish nations around the world. Isaiah chapter 1. This time we got left 42 minutes, all right? Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. I like the way it's described here. Now, the reason why I'm reading this is because many people think that the Old Testament is just for the old times and all that, but there there are definitive and clear statements from God himself that, that you need to pay attention, and this is one of them, Isaiah 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens. So he's telling the heavens, the universe. <laughs> and he says, give ear, O earth, the entire earth. All right, so we need to pay attention to this. Whenever God talks like this, this is serious what he's talking about here. Okay, colon, continue the thought. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people does not consider. This is a prophecy. Right now, many of you that are listening to me today don't even know that you are a part of Israel. You don't know that you are a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what he's talking about, all right? And then verse 4, this is a prophecy. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. This is a perfect description of us today with our pornography, with with our insistence on on stating the fact or even considering the fact that it's okay for two men and two women to be married together, and then on top of that to really think of the abomination of raising kids. Uh, how, how in the world are they going to teach their kids that they should honor their father and mother? How are they going to teach their kids to obey the fifth commandment? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But anyway, verse 5, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. It's talking about the head of our government. The head of our school systems, not only in this country, but all the other Israelitish countries, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, all the countries in Northwestern Europe, South, uh, uh, Northwestern Europe, South Africa. That's what it's talking about here. Canada. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. Verse 6, from the sole of your feet, even into the head, there is no soundness in it. It's talking about our leadership. The House of Representatives, uh, more 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 than did not, are gay, or they have some other issues. You know, being gay is not the only sin in the Bible, but it's sin nonetheless. You know, there is, and 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 our House of Representatives corrupted. The Senate is corrupt. You know, our government is corrupted. 
And that's what God is talking about here. And he, and, he, and this is going to lead to this. Well, actually, in verse 6, For the sole of your foot, even into the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That's the way he's looking at us. He's looking at us like we're just sick and just wounds. And, we not, and this is our financial situation, too. Instead of being sound financially and stopping the bleeding, the bleeding meaning printing money out of thin air. That's not worth the, the money that is printed on. You know, I'm quoting uh, Gerald Salente. <laughs> but but uh, basically, uh, that's what this, we're, we're just patching it up and we're not healing the wound. The wound, what is our wound financially? The fact that we have a debt problem, the fact that we just want it now, that we don't want to wait to buy something. We want to get it now. And this country right now, they talk about $14.1 trillion. Our real debt is way over that. It's, it's almost close to $100 trillion right now when you include the entitlement programs of Social Security and Medicaid and so forth and unemployment insurance. That's an entitlement program. That's a program that we are supposedly entitled to because of the tax dollars that we pay. So this is a prophecy that's not only talking about our morality, how we think, but our financial situation right now. And Obama didn't say anything to me during the uh, State of the Union that convinced me that this problem is going to be solved. He talked about a freeze. And I looked at one article that the spending freeze is only going to clear up $480 billion. How is that going to solve our problem when, when uh, they're stating that it's $14 trillion that uh, uh, we're in debt? Uh, but that's a short-term debt. Long-term debt is way over that. So that's not going to solve the problem. And what's going to happen, folks, unfortunately, in verse 7, this happened back with our ancestors. It's going to happen again. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Just like what's going on in Egypt right now. They're going nuts. Same situation. It's a micro type of situation, microeconomic type of situation, where the people are complaining uh, because they, you know, they're under a dictatorship. Uh, they don't allow them any freedoms. Uh, they, they are suffering... Uh, from not having jobs, etc. This is going to happen in this country as well. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence. And this is an interesting statement because um, Asians uh, really have it better than anyone else uh, in this country economic. If you don't believe me, go to the United States uh, Census Bureau website and look up um, the, the poverty uh, PDFs that they have there. Uh, you'll be able to tell basically, um, or, or the income. The uh, PDFs have described the, the income, the average income that each type of race makes. Asians do better here in this country than anyone else. And they are considered strangers. In other words, they have come from another country to live here in the United States. Uh, it says, strangers devoured in your presence, and it is desolate now. We um, import, import means we buy more foreign goods then we export, then we sell. So that's what that God is talking about, too. Strangers devoured in your presence and as desolate as overthrown by strangers. We depend more on foreign merchandise than people from other countries depend on ours. And what's keeping us afloat is that they buy our services, not our goods. You know, And the goods that they buy, of course, is military. But, but, but the major bulk of what's keeping us afloat is the services part, the services sector that we provide to other countries. So in, in verse 8... It says, and, and the daughter of Zion is left 
as a cottage in a vineyard and lodge as in the garden of cucumbers as in a besieged city. The daughter of Zion, of course, is the modern uh, Jerusalem today. Nine, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been likened to Gomorrah. And in verse 10, he states this, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. So he calls our rulers today in this country and, and all the other Israelite uh, uh, countries around the world, rulers of Sodom. And give here unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. All right? So I'm just going to leave it at that. You can read the rest of this. But but God knows who we are. And I'm going to jump down to verse 16 here. It says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Cease to do evil. That's what he wants us to do right now. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Eliminate all these people in this country, in the richest country in the world that is on food stamps right now. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So that if we are willing to reason with God, he's promising that we'll get cleaned up. And verse 19, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Verse 20, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And, you know, that's a very serious uh, statement there, but he means what he says. And then Isaiah chapter 3, back to this homosexual stuff that's going on right now that I must talk about. Uh, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. Said the show of their countenance or their faith does witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, and they hide it not. This is a prophecy uh, in terms of what has happened, and it just doesn't apply to what what just happened here. It can apply also to the fact that gays in this country and around the world, but particularly in this country, are being more open about um, their sin. And you know, remember. Sodomy is not just homosexuality, but homosexuality is a part of Sodom. When you have that attitude of eating too much and being lazy and not knowing what to do with yourself and so forth, you will eventually, there's a great possibility, you start thinking gay and doing gay things when you enter that state. So, um, verse 9, the show of their countenance does witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. Woe or danger unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. So he's saying you have rewarded evil unto yourselves by thinking that way. And in verse 10 he says, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Remember, you have to do something. You just can't say, oh, I love God. You, you have to prove to God that you love him. Verse 11, Woe or, or great sorrow unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. All right? So... That's something that we need to understand and remember. And then let me just quote this verse 12. This is an interesting scripture. It says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. You have your Sarah Palins, and you have all these other folks, uh, uh, women that think they can run the country, and they can't even <laughs> run themselves, let alone their families. You know, But, but it says, O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. God has never... Only, only in a few cases where he's ever raised up a woman, and it's, it was for, for specific reasons, like with Deborah. If you can just read that in Judges, he raised up Deborah because 
the men were acting like wimps. All right, and even Barack, he didn't. He wanted Deborah to go with him to war. When it says in Deuteronomy chapter twenty, it doesn't say anything about a woman preparing for war, and she knew that, and she told Barack that your honor will be lost, and it was. You know, his honor was taken away from him. The honor of uh, killing someone based on God's law, uh, based on what he told him to do to, to win a war. And it was done by a woman instead of Barack because he was a wimp or acting like a wimp, and he want, wanted a woman to be at his side. Okay, And in, in the book of Judges, it describes Deborah as being a mother of Israel, not a father. The mother is second in command. So she knew her place. That's why God raised her up. She was very humble, and she, uh, her mission was to help the, the boys become men, and she did. And she did, and she was a great prophetess. And, and, and also, uh, I'm trying to think of Queen, uh, what's her name, Queen, what's her name, Queen uh, Esther, right, Esther. She was another example. She was very humble, very humble. You know, if you just read Esther and how she approached the king, I wish all uh, women or wives would read that. I'm not saying you should be afraid of your husband to that extent, but you should respect your husband, especially if your husband is doing things to be respected of. And you should always realize that if your husband is righteous and if he's obeying God, then you are required to obey him in everything, as Ephesians chapter 5 states. And Esther is a prime example of that uh, in the sense of having that attitude of being humble. Now, consider the fact that her husband wasn't obeying a tour. He wasn't obeying a tour at all. And yet she still had that respect for him. So you can't use that excuse either. You know, as long as the man is treating you decent and is not beating the crap out of you or spitting in your face and cursing at you all day or whatever, you know, if he's, we all understand extreme, uh, extreme situations. But a woman has to understand that she was created after Adam. Okay? So, and a woman came from a man's rib. So that, that means you're second place. And there's nothing wrong with being second place. You know, Jesus is second place. But a scripture I'm going to read to you says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. So there's nothing wrong with being second place, folks. It really isn't. That's a pretty high position. So, um, anyway, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. And this is, this is something that I, I quote, I try to quote as often as I can, because many people think that all the prophecies of the Bible are going to happen regardless of whatever, and the Bible doesn't say that either. I'm talking about the prophecies in the book of Revelation, the, the, the stuff where the the, the violent, uh, the punishing, and, and the blood being spilled, and so forth. It does not have to happen, folks. You know, there is still a chance. Jeremiah chapter um, 18, verses 7 to 10, and let me prove this to you. Now, this is a prophecy, and again, I, I quoted a scripture to you last week that all the prophecies in Second Peter chapter 3, you need to take the prophets, take what they say, and take heed to what they're saying. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, it, it tells you plainly that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So you can't throw away the Old Testament. You can't look at it as, as, as it being, you can't look at it as uh, toilet paper. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull down and to destroy it? Now, he's talking about any nation. 
not just the United States, verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent or change his mind of the evil that he thought to do unto them. Now, this applies to any prophecies, any devastating prophecies of destruction. Okay? He states here, At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and pull down and destroy it? All right? Uh, verse 8, If that nation against whom I pronounce turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. So, People like myself who understand the Bible, who are not afraid to talk about the truth of the Bible, they have a responsibility, and that's what I do on Blog Talk Radio each and every week. I, I, I talk, and, and I hope God reaches whoever he wants to reach with what I'm saying here out of the Bible. Verse 9, And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if, I, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherein I said I would benefit them. This applies not only to that time during Jeremiah's time, but it also applies today because, again, the churches or the assembly of God, the people who uh, keep the commandments of God and, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, this applies not only to um, what happened in Jeremiah's time, but it applies today. It applies to our time as well. All right, in Revelation 22, every, everyone's always talking about, I have a right to do this and I have a right to do that. Well, I'm going to read this in the old King James Version because it's pretty clear in the King James. I know in other scriptures they've watered down this to say washing washing his robes. But washing your robes, meaning it means to obey the commandments you know, and, and, to, and to show God that you obey him. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. That's the kind of right you need to be fighting for, folks. The right to the tree of life, not the right to be gay or the right to be evil and so forth. Uh, and you need to um, read Romans chapter 6 to understand that just because you're under grace doesn't mean give you a license to sin and to break God's law. Romans chapter 6. But anyway, Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commands or commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and those who love him and make of a lie. Okay, so that's the right that we all better be fighting for, folks, the right to the tree of life. Now, in the remaining uh, 24 minutes, I'm going to talk about how to walk like Jesus walked or to live like he lived because many people don't understand that. Uh, let's turn to, I mean, we, we talk about, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I love Jesus. Okay, you, you love Jesus. Okay, let's, let's find out if you really do love Jesus. Let's turn to First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 6 in the King James Version. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. This is a very powerful scripture, folks. And you can argue all you want about this, but it's pretty clear about what it's saying. All right? I'm going to read this in two other versions so you understand exactly what it's saying here. In the easy-to-read version, it says, If we say we live in God, we must live the way Jesus lived. Okay? Uh, that, that's pretty plain, folks. Okay? That's pretty plain. Uh, let's read another version in the in the uh, complete Jewish Bible. 
version, which adds to Jewish perspective, because after all, the, the Jews wrote the entire Bible, folks. First John 2 are people that learn from Jews. First John, because Luke was not a Jew, he was, a, I think he was a, a Greek, but he learned from Jews. First John chapter 2, verse 6, a person who claims to be continuing in union with him ought to conduct his life the way he did. Okay, so that's that's pretty clear, folks. All right, now my question to you, and God's question to you is this. Are you walking and living like Jesus did? If you are, you're okay. If not, you got some issues. Okay, so um, I'm going to quote a scripture here that is very illuminating here. Galatians 2, verse 20. I'm going to quote this uh, from two different versions, including the King James Version, so you understand where I'm going with this. And then I'm going to quote another scripture in Hebrews about Christ, about how he thinks about things, because many people think he came to the earth and said, Father, Forget you. I'm going to develop my own laws. The law has been done away with. Law of Moses is gone. Throw it in the garbage can. Flush it down the toilet. He didn't say that. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. So I am not the one living now. This is uh, Paul, who said he followed Christ's example. It is Christ living in me. Okay. So Christ is supposed to be living in you through the Holy Spirit, folks. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God. He is the one who loved me. And gave himself to me. Now, let's let's stop a minute. Jesus Christ symbolically and spiritually should be living in us, literally. Okay. Now, here's another scripture that you may not have uh, heard of before. Okay. In the easy to read version of the Bible, it says in Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever Jesus did back in the first century, if he if he's truly living in you, he's going to be doing those things today. Okay, so there's no way you can get around these scriptures. There's no way, unless you just totally, totally just don't want to obey God, folks. All right, Uh Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I'm going to read this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible for clarity's sake. Trying to be as clear as I can. I can get complicated. I can talk about the, the Hebrew background, but many of you don't understand that. So I have to break it down to you. The purpose of talking and communicating with anyone is to make yourself clear, not to say words that you don't understand. That's stupid. That's arrogance. Uh, what I want you, I want you to understand. God wants you to understand. First uh, John chapter two, uh, starting in uh, verse one. My dear children, I write this letter to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone sins, we have Jesus Christ to help us. He always did what was right, so he is able to defend us before God the Father. Verse 2. So he always, unlike us, we, we don't always do what's right, but Jesus did. Verse 2. Jesus is the way our sins are taken away. True. And he is the way all people can have their sins taken away, too. 
Now, here's the pivotal verse, verse 3. If we obey what God has told us to do, then we are sure that we know him. Now, you don't even know God if you don't obey him. That's what he's saying here. In verse 4, now he's getting really specific here. If we say we know God but do not obey his commands, or in the King James Version it says commandments, we are lying. The truth is not in us. And what is the truth? In Psalm 119, verse 142, the teachings of God, the law of God is the truth. Verse 5. But when we obey God's teaching, his love is truly working in us. Or Christ is living in us. This is how we know that we are living in him. Okay? When you live in him, Christ lives in you. And Christ, is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning that whatever he did in the first century, he's going to be doing it through you today. As far as obeying his Father's commandments. He stated in John 15, verse 10, that he obeyed his Father's commandments. And we need to do the same thing. And if we don't do that, then according to the Scriptures, we are not followers of God uh, or Jesus. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way. He's the way, folks. He's the only way. I know many people of different religions would get upset about that, but I've proved it. I know. I mean, I've, I've, I've walked, tried to the best of my ability to walk the way he walked, and I know he's the way. <laughs> Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. And that's a bold statement, but you know, if you want to challenge him to it, go ahead. You know, I have. Uh, Way means he's he's the road. He's the road. He's the path. Uh, see, what else does it mean? He's the progress. He's the means. That's what he is. That's that's what it means in original Greek. And the life means life. Okay? So he's the way, the means, the process. You have to follow him. If you don't follow him, then you, you you're not going to make... You're not going to be successful truly in anything that you do, and success is defined as obeying the law of God, not having a lot of money. That's, that's the way most people define success today, but success is uh, not just money, making a lot of money. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Now, this talks about Jesus, um, the fact that uh, in verse 40, he says, And the child grew and waxed strong and spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 41. Now, you know, Christ, uh, Christ was under grace, too. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. He, he had grace, but unlike a lot of Christians today, he didn't sin, you know, or he didn't break God's law. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. So let me let me challenge you. Are you keeping the Feast of Passover? Do you know what the Feast of Passover is? Well, Jesus did, and his parents taught him to do it, okay? Are you teaching your children to keep the Feast of Passover? Anyway, now his parents went to the Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus waited in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. 
But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Verse 45, And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. The doctors, that, that translation means teachers. Both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, let me pause here for a minute. Most 12 years old, particularly in this country, definitely ain't thinking about obeying God. They're not thinking about reading the Bible or even asking questions about God. Most. I know there's a few exceptional ones, but most 12-year-olds, you know what they're doing? They're on their iPods. They're on the Internet doing stupid stuff. Uh, they're, they're looking at stupid programs. They're looking at stupid movies. Uh, they got their minds on sex, and they're doing things that they have no business doing. That is the truth, folks, okay? Um, there's, a, uh, there's a statistic saying that half our teenage uh, kids are, are and lost their minds, okay? So, unfortunately, in this country, that's the way it is, all right? But I'm, I'm quoting this because, again, Jesus said he's the way, he's the life, he's the truth. And this is the way we ought to have our children. We ought to have our children interested in God at 12 years old, asking questions about God. Going around asking people who know more than them about God, this was what really this was uh, Jesus Christ's iPod or computer. This is what he enjoyed doing. And then and let me read, let me let me prove it to you. And then in verse forty-five, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Verse forty-six, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. He would listen to them, and he would ask questions. Jesus, at 12 years old, 47, verse 47, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Verse 48, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto them, Son, why you have thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I sought thee souring. And uh, what is this word? Uh, verse, what is it? Anxiously. And, and, and have sought thee anxiously. I tell you the King James Version sometime. Anyway, verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me, or why did you look for me? Um, okay, let me read this in the verse. <laughs> uh, for clarity's sake here, let me go back. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 2, verse uh, 49. All right, let's start with verse 48, an easy, easy to read version of the Bible. When his parents saw him, they wondered how this was possible. And his mother said, Son, why did, did you do this to us? That's better. Your father and I were very worried about you. We have been looking for you. Verse 49, Jesus said to them, Why did you have to look for me? You should have known that I must be where my father's work is. In verse 50, they didn't understand what he was talking about. They said, But they did not understand the meaning of what he said to them. So even the fact that this he was more intelligent than his parents, he still respected his parents. And it says right here in verse 51, Jesus went with them to Nazareth and obeyed them. So people get this talking about he was being smart like he wasn't. Obviously, he said this in a humble way to his parents. His mother was still thinking about all these things because she didn't understand what he was talking about. You know, so. But but um, I wanted to focus on what he said. Here he is, 12 years old, and he's thinking about doing the father's business. What is the father's business? The father's business is keeping his commandments. Okay? And this guy, and he was 12 years old. That's very impressive. You know, and, and that's something that uh, I know that a lot of parents in this country fall short on. But it's not too late. You could 
start to teach your children about the Bible as outlined in the uh, turn of Deuteronomy. God instructs uh, each and every parent. And this is part of the Shema. And Jesus knew very well. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O United States. Hear, O Canada. Hear, South Africa. Hear, all the countries of Northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand and whoever else believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Here, you're all part of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, Jesus certainly did at 12 years old, and with all thy might. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your mind. Verse 7, And you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. And Mary and Joseph certainly did. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And verse 8, and you shall bind them for a sign upon thine head, which this is where the Jews get the positive tradition of the tefillin. And and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and you shall write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. That's how serious God wants us to take his commandments, folks. And see, this can be applied to us looking at television. You know know the time, the ridiculous time that is spent on focusing on the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers and what what they're going to do. They have hours and hours and hours of analyzing what's going to happen and all that. And and, and it's just a waste of time. What have we spent that time digging into our Bibles, understanding God and how he thinks? We can do that, but we just don't do it. All right. Um, and we, and when it says here, we talk about our favorite movies and our favorite food and all that when, when, we, uh, when we sit down and when we walk by the way and we lie down. But when, we, when it comes to the Bible, oh, no, no, we can't do that, right? But you can talk about your favorite uh, television programs, your, your favorite sports teams or, or whatever else, you know. So, you know, it's just a bunch of excuses. We have to just all repent and realize, hey, we got to put God first in our lives. Okay, Luke chapter 4. I may have to continue this next week. I have eight minutes left. Um, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So we're analyzing right now what Jesus did. How did he live? Okay? How did he live? What did he do? What are we supposed to follow? Well, first, we realize that he was thoroughly trained in the scriptures. Second of all, second of all, uh, he loved God and he put God first. He said, "I must be about my Father's business," and we sh- we all better be about our Father's business. Uh, every single one of us, and he's the example. We learned that he's the way, he's the life. We learned that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that, in, based on Galatians 2, verse 20, he must live spiritually in us. And when he lives spiritually in us, he's the same. He's the same as far as his, as his morality. It's the same as it was back in the first century, and it's the same today. All right? that That's what we've learned so far. Now, what else did he do? Well, in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. 
And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, so he was raised up in Nazareth. And as his custom was, custom means what you normally do, your habit, okay? He went into the synagogue. Are you going to Jewish synagogues today? I would go to a Jewish synagogue if I was welcome. <laughs> but, you know, because uh, I believe, of course, that Yeshua is the Messiah, a lot of them have issues with that, you know. So, But I tell you what, if, ever, if a Jewish synagogue ever opened their doors to me, I would go. I would definitely go. Right now, I'm spiritually in my synagogue at home with my family, you know, but uh, I'm looking forward to the day when I can do this. But anyway, verse 16, and he came. I did, I've actually visited a Jewish synagogue, but not on the Shabbat or the Sabbath. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So, okay, so he's reading the Bible, and he's in a Jewish synagogue, or he's in, a, in an assembly on a Shabbat. All right, are you doing that? Are you assembling on Saturday to do Bible study like he did? Verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. So unlike a lot of ministers who say the Old Testament is done away with, he was reading out of the Old Testament. He was reading out of the um, the book of Isaiah, which I just got through. That's kind of that's kind of um, weird that I just got through reading out of the book of Isaiah, and I didn't realize that this scripture is an example of him doing the same thing. Uh, he read out of the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, verse 18, which describes his total work or explains what he did in summary in the first century. It's a, it's a synopsis of it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised or oppressed. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So this is a prophecy that he read in verse 20. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them were, were in the synagogue were fastened on him. All right, so this is what Jesus did regularly each and every week. He went into the Jewish synagogues. He taught, and he also read scriptures. Okay, and, and he studied and, and talked about God and conversed with God uh, with his fellow Jews. That's what he did each and every Sabbath. Are you doing that? All right? And that's what you have to do. Are you doing that every Saturday? And if not, then you have to scratch your head and say, well, why? And why has not my minister, why has my minister not taught me these things? That's what you're going to have to, to come to, to grips with here. All right. Uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 2 to 3. Let's find out who the real Jesus is here. Mark chapter 2, 6 rather, verses 2 to 3. Mark 6, verse 2. says, and when, he, and when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. That's what he did. Every Sabbath, he taught in the synagogue, talked about God uh, to to, the, to his fellow Jews. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Verse 3, Is not this the carpenter? So he was a carpenter. He had a job. I know you may not hear about that too often. Now, many people think that Jesus was just preaching for three and a half years and didn't do any work. Well, uh, 
he kept his father's commandments. One of those commandments is that you shall work six days and rest on the Sabbath. So obviously he must have still did some carpentry work, maybe not as much, but I'm sure that he did. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter? Because I identified him as being a carpenter, and he was teaching in a synagogue. Why would they call him a carpenter unless he still was one? All right, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So, you know, this scripture also proves that, that he had a family. He had brothers and sisters, and he wasn't their only son or offspring. Okay, so we know that Jesus was a carpenter as well as a minister, a rabbi. All right, we know that about him. And obviously, just like he had a job, we should get a job. We should have a profession. A, a carpenter, I don't know of a carpenter that's poor. Yeah, a carpenter, a carpentry work is, 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 is uh, let's put it this way, you can make a decent amount of money being a carpenter. So obviously, God wants you to have a profession that will generate livable income. And being a carpenter definitely will do that for you. So that's a good example to follow as well for us men and women. You know, some women have to, to get out here and work when they don't have husbands or husbands are lazy and don't want to do nothing. Or, or if you're single, as a woman. So anyway, I'm going to stop right here, folks. I'm going to pick back up next week as we examine what did Jesus do in the first century? How did he live? And uh, until next week, may God bless and keep you, and may God um, always protect you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 